You know the name, and I'm so happy to say she's here on WGN Radio. We've become friends. I'm talking about Vicky Santo, founder of the Ron and Vicky Santo Diabetic Alert Dog Foundation. Good morning, Vicky. How are you? I'm great, Steve. How are you? You sound wonderful. So here's the question Chicago needs to know. How are you doing? What are you doing these days? And where are you? Well, I am in sunny, warm Arizona, where it's 111 degrees. Wow. So it keeps me in my office. And <laughs> I'm working on the our Diabetic Alert Dog Foundation. And I have... I receive quite a few applications, and I get in touch with the people, and we put them together with our trainers and dogs, and we help young diabetics, well, all diabetics, but um, it saves their lives to have yeah. these dogs. Literally, and we'll, we'll talk about exactly what the foundation is. Is it too hot for you to be out there riding horses, which I know is a passion of yours? passion well if i'm going to ride i have to be there by eight in the morning and it is in an indoor not closed indoor but indoor with misters and fans and it's a short ride yeah Yeah, it's crazy what's going on you know yeah so tell me how the ron and vicky santo diabetic alert dog foundation began well i after ron passed away i thought about how can we help other diabetics? Because that was a passion of Ron's. As you know, you know, when he was broadcasting, he would have uh, people call and say, my son was just diagnosed. He'd say, bring him to the ballpark. I'm going to sit down and talk with him and, you know, let him know that you can live a normal life. And he would spend, you know, time with many people he didn't even know just to say, this is a disease that you can live with, but you have to accept it and you have to manage it. And so he, you know, he worked so hard for himself and had so many complications from the disease. And he said, I don't ever want any other, any kids to have to go through what I went through. And so because he felt that way, I thought, well, that's something that I can, you know, do, uh, start this foundation We'll raise money to um, fund the training of the dogs, and we'll put them out with, you know, young kids who they don't feel their symptoms. They just know they don't feel good, but they don't know what's wrong. All right, let's 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 stop there for a moment and back it up a bit. Ron was a, a dog lover, and, and you are a dog lover, I know. Uh, I think I'm correct about that. Yes, Absolutely. And, and you had experience with a dog by the name of Joker, and I had something to do with all this at the very, very beginning. I'll let you tell the story. Well, you make me laugh when you say that, because Joker was an extraordinary dog. He was a beautiful dog, um, Australian Shepherd, and, but he was a very timid dog. And Ron, as we know, was, uh, you knew he was in the room. Even if he wasn't <laughs> talking, he was like there. So um, he would he would try to play with the dog, and the dog just wanted no part of him. He would just kind of go the other way. And um, he was on the air one day, I think, and he was talking about, you know, Joker hates me. 
I don't know what's wrong with him. You know, and as he was raising his voice, you could see why Joker was not too <laughs> fond of uh, being around him. That but was anyway. Was that um, Vicky? Vicky was that when he called in on my show? Is that what he you were, did? Yeah. So, yeah. so there I am broadcasting in what was then the studio on Michigan Avenue, and I'm just taking phone calls, and I say, "Hello, you're on the air, Ron." Just with a list of phones, and 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 the, it's said on because the producer writes basically what the person in general is going to speak about, and right. it said my dog doesn't like me, and the phone call was Ron. So I just say, "Hi, Ron, you're on the air," and Ron Santo says, "My dog doesn't like me," and <laughs> and I was like, uh, "I know the voice." I said, "Is this Ron Santo?" And he said, "Yeah. Why doesn't my dog like me?" <laughs> And right there, I, yes, I was, my headphones were so loud, I had to take them off my ears. But from there, explain what apparently I told Ron Santo to do. The Hall of Famer now, Ron, the great Ron Santo, who everyone loved. And what I did answer and what I did say is I don't understand how a dog can't like Ron Santo because everyone loves Ron Santo. And incidentally, Vicky, I hope that you felt the love that Chicago did have and continues to and will always have for Ron Santo. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, he, you say, how could you not love Ron Santo? Well, as I said, Joker was a very timid dog. And he, he was like the guardian. You know, if a cat got on the counter, he'd let me know if the cat's on the counter. But you know, he was like the grand marshal of my house. Uh-huh. But anyway, he you told Ron that, Ron, you're very emotional. <laughs> <laughs> and probably when you go home, especially after a loss, you know, the dog can feel that. And you suggested that he take a glass of wine and go into his closet. <laughs> in his closet and drink his glass of wine until he calmed down. And his comment to me was, are you kidding me? He told me to go in my closet. <laughs> and his voice goes up. I go, well, no wonder the dog doesn't like you. <laughs> but the thing that's interesting about this is that these dogs are so tuned in to the person's chemical. And when Ron was diagnosed with cancer, Joker would go and sit next to him. We were waiting. He had he'd just gone and had... Um, uh, the test from the doctor, and they said, you know, you're going to need chemo. The dog went and would sit next to Ron and put his foot up on his knee. Hmm. And Ron just looked at me. He goes, he knows. Yeah, He knows I have cancer. I mean, it's unbelievable the sense and the, the what they smell of, you know, on a person. And um, it was true. He, you know, he in fact did have cancer. And unfortunately, you know, it took his life. But yeah. it's just, um, but, dogs but you, are amazing. Yes, they are. And you told one story that in some ways, you have told me before, prompted the idea of the Ron and Vicky Santo Diabetic Alert Dog Foundation. That's when Joker kind of became lassie and might have saved Ron Santo's life. We're going to hear that story, hear more about this great organization. And I'll say it and say it again and again. If Ron Santo brought some joy to your life, please consider making a contribution to this nonprofit. We will tell you how in a bit. 
right back with Vicky Santo here on WGN. Vicky Santo founded the Ron and Vicky Santo Diabetic Alert Dog Foundation. And I think of the Lassie movies, you know, Lassie Go Home, Lassie Come Home, Lassie Needs a Home, whatever movie. It doesn't much matter. Lassie always did this. And it turns out that Joker once did this too. So despite the fact that Ron Santo thought, this dog doesn't like me, we don't have a bond, that didn't turn out to be the case, did it, Vicky? No, absolutely not. When I'll, I'll never forget, because Joker, Ron was in, in bed. I didn't, he was back in the bedroom. I was at the other end of the house, and Joker came up to me, and he's looking at me and like, you know, and I went, I was down the basement, actually, and he didn't like to go down the basement stairs because they were too slippery for him. And so he was standing at the top of them and whining, and I went, Joker, what's wrong with you? And, you know, do you have to go out? And I went to the office door, to the sliding door to open, and he didn't go out. He marched right back to the bedroom where Ron was in having a very low blood sugar. And he's alerting me that there's something wrong. With, and when I looked at Ron, I started to talk. I knew right away because he was babbling. He didn't yeah. make any sense. And I'm like, okay. I, and I never even put it together that that's what Joker was doing. I did not put it together. But after Ron passed, Joker also passed in um, like a month. And I'm like, God, please, <laughs> you've taken my dog. You've, ta- you've taken my husband. Please don't take my dog. Well, as it turns out, I got another, I got another dog. I was in um, a PetSmart. And the person that I was, work- I was working with my new dog on... Um, being a medical alert dog. And the, the young man that was checking me out, he said, oh, he said, do you, um, is this an, a, you know, is this a diabetic alert dog? And I went, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, oh, yeah, my mom trains diabetic alert dogs. And I said, I had no idea that there was such a thing. And from that, that's the encounter that, you know, sparked this for me. I'm like, we, I have to find out about this. So long story short, I, you know, found a trainer. We've, we've been in, it took me three years to get my 501c3. The government shut down there during the period of time that I was waiting to get it. So February, 2014, we received our 501c3. So we've been in operation for, oh, since 2014. And we have dogs in, you know, probably over 20 states. We're not just local. We're not just in Chicago. We're anywhere in the country. Uh, and we get applications from all over the country. And it costs money to train these dogs. I mean, you have to pay the trainer. But above and beyond that, who doesn't work for a lot? Because these trainers do it out of love. You're clearly not getting anything. I mean, you're and your group, your board doing it out of love to help other people. But it takes a while to train these dogs, doesn't it? It takes a year. Actually, it takes over a year. The first year of training is when the dogs are with the trainers. And they they get them from puppies. So they're three, three weeks old, three months. You know, so it's a, a progression. And as you know, you can't be training a puppy to for obedience when they're, you know, less than six months old, but you can start the scent training. 
And so they start the scent training as little, you know, as a couple months old. And what we do is we get a scent um, that our, our people that are going to get the dogs send us cotton swabs that are soaked with their saliva when their sugars are low and when their sugars are high. And those scents are frozen, and then that's what are tucked into the, the dog, the puppy's toys. That's what, you know, so they smell this, and when they get, when they smell this, they get rewarded from the trainer. And so this is just a, you know, part of the way we start the scent training. But um, it goes, you know, the first year of training, the dog is with the trainer. Then once the dog has all their basics, so, so they have their obedience training, their scent training, and uh, we have the uh, applicant or the person that's going to handle the dog come to Arizona and spend four or five days with their dog until they're comfortable that they can go home and that the dog will alert for them. But then even when you get home, there's quite an adjustment period. I mean, the dog is used to being with all these other dogs. Now all of a sudden he's just with one person or in a family that might have other pets. So there's a there's an adjustment period for the dog when he gets to his new home. And as he gets to know his person better, he like he'll start an alert, but the child who is diabetic will now notice that oh dog is starting to smell me so he's checking on me and as that bond gets closer the 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 alerts are shorter because the young person recognizes what the dog is trying to tell them but the biggest thing you you've told me is yes everything you said which is quite remarkable but also overnight uh, when especially younger kids and you do often uh, give these dogs to families with younger children, and the the difference it makes not only for the child, but maybe even more so for the parents. Oh, that's for sure. That's for sure. I mean, there's no parent whose child is di- diabetic who doesn't wake up at night several times to check on them to make sure that their blood sugars are in the normal range because... Um, Sometimes they don't wake up. They don't. They know that they don't feel good, but they don't wake up. And going low is the most dangerous of of the um, problems of diabetes, because you, the low sugars are. You can go so low that your brain shuts off and you don't wake up. So um, our dogs are trained differently to alert for a low than they are for a high. And so, part, in other words, go ahead. I'm sorry, first, Vicky. If, uh, say, a person is in bed and they're low, the dog will come over to the bed and start to alert. And if the person doesn't react, the dog will jump up on the bed and start licking their face. They just lick and lick and lick until to wake them back up. And I have a story of one young, or she's an older woman, but who had a dog. She was in having a low sugar the dog jumped up on her bed because she was out of, she was unconscious. But by licking her, she came back to, you know, awareness again, was aware enough to call 911 
then went unconscious again. And that dog stayed on the bed and continued to lick her till the paramedics got there, which they told her that's what saved your life. Because once your, bur- your brain shuts off, then your body starts shutting down. So mm. it's just amazing what these dogs can do. Just amazing. I hope you feel good, and I know Ron would feel more than good about the work that's being done now. You know, um, it's quite remarkable what these dogs can do. I want to talk more about that. I want to talk more about training, which includes socialization of these dogs. And I also want to talk about what you can do to help the Ron and Vicky Santo Diabetic Alert Dog Foundation, an organization. We're going to hear more about this literally, literally saving lives when we come back right here at 720 WGN. Back in the day, I was the announcer for the International Kennel Club of Chicago Dog Show. And actually, I had the book. It's a blue binder that Roger Karras had. Roger Karras, legendary dog show guy and legendary dog guy, legendary horse guy. He was the president of the ASPCA. He was the correspondent for animals, essentially, for ABC TV for many, many years. And I was honored to have the book. And I would sit there and I would read, the pointer was bred to point and at game and, and read whatever the description was of the breed. Well, this year they're bringing back that dog show. It disappeared. It was gone for a while. The International Kennel Club of Chicago Dog Show is now the Great American Dog Show. David Fry, if you see a dog show anytime, anywhere on national TV, he is the guy broadcasting that show, and he will be a guest on this show next week. Vicky Santo, founder of the Ron and Vicky Santo Diabetic Alert Dog Foundation. Vicky, you sound wonderful. You must be excited that Ron Santo will be celebrated next Sunday, a week from today, at Wrigley, yeah, Wrigley Field, another bobblehead. How many bobbleheads do you have in your collection? Well, I do have, well, I don't have other bobbleheads, but I do have a bunch of bobbleheads of Ron. And I just, I did have to laugh when they called and said, it, they didn't call, I saw it online, that it was his bobblehead day. And I sent a text to Pat Hughes. I said, how appropriate is that? (laughs) um, Anyway, so it's very, the Cubs totally, uh, you know, have been so great about Ron and the the retiring his number and putting the statue and, you know, they've been, they've been wonderful. But you know what? Um, First of all, that Cubs team, and I'm talking about the 69, 70s, maybe 71 Cubs, maybe 68 Cubs, but in that era is so fondly remembered for those of us that can remember that. But, but even by Cubs fans who are too young and look back at the videos and see Ernie Banks and see what he did, see Billy Williams and see what he did, Randy Hundley, who I know is a good friend right. of Ron's, and, and on and on. That was, I think, a special group, Vicki. No question. No question. It wasn't about money then. It wasn't about money when they played. It was about team. It was about taking care of each other. And that team was fabulous. I mean, they've stayed through their entire life as close as, as any friends can be. But Ron Santa was playing through... What I don't know, you'll have to tell me whether his teammates knew everything that was going on. Did you even know how, at times, poorly he felt? 
Absolutely not. No. Well, I I didn't know Ron during his playing years, but I have to say, I mean, I've heard some stories that were hysterical where he's in the, uh, he and, they used to uh, have roommates when they travel, and he and Beck were, Glenn Beckert were roommates, and Ron went into the bathroom to take a shot, and I guess there was a mirror on the back of the door, and Beck could see from his bed that Ron's taking a shot, and he goes, roomie. I don't want to know what that is. I don't want to know. But you're hitting much better than I am, and I want some of that. <laughs> so <laughs> there were a lot of stories. And he never told the team until, I guess, he had won a couple gold gloves that he was diabetic because he didn't want them to have any reason to be able to say, you can't play. We can't have you on our team. Did Ron love anything more than baseball and the fans that went with it, aside from his family. Absolutely. No, that, you know what? That's what kept him alive. That's what kept him going. I mean, after all the things that happened to him from diabetes, losing the first leg, losing the second leg, uh, he's had heart issues. And after the heart issue, he was home for like, I don't know, three. it was during the season. And he came home from the hospital. I'm like, hmm, this isn't looking good. And the day that they said he could go back to work, he got up, got dressed, walked to the door like he, nothing had ever happened. He's off to the ballpark. That's what kept him going. Hmm. That's what kept him going. He loved that game. And I hope he was aware. Hall of Fame, no Hall of Fame, because as I recall, it came after he passed away. And you gave, yeah, you gave the speech in Cooperstown. Yes, was that, by the way, one of the hardest things you ever had to do? Or, or maybe not. Maybe it was so confirming of what needed to happen. It was not the hardest thing at all. I mean, I, first of all, when you believe what you're talking about, it just flows. And I have to say Barry Rosner was fabulous in helping write the speech for me and um, with me. And, um, you know, it would have been a different... if. When the ball players speak, give that speech, it's about their personal memories with their team and so forth and so on. I didn't have that information. What I had is the um, what living with diabetes, but being able to reach the level of um, accomplishment. That was kind of the gist of the speech. It's like. He never gave up. He kept going no matter what because, you know, baseball was that important to him, but he wasn't going to let diabetes slow him down. You mentioned this earlier, and I have gotten to know you a bit, but I, I met Ron Santo a couple of times. I really didn't know Ron Santo, but I, I get the feel from others who knew him well and from what you've told me, he really never met a stranger. But if someone had a problem that was diabetes-related, he had as much time as needed, especially when children were involved. Is that right? That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. I mean, we would, it, you know, I, I suppose it goes with being a celebrity, because I don't, he was a celebrity, but we'd go out to dinner and be walking to a restaurant, 
somebody would stop him. He didn't know who they were. He would stop and talk. I used to say to him, I think I need a leash for you, you know, <laughs> so that when we're walking in and out of places, you're right by my, you know, we're together. Yeah. You don't just stop and chat for 25 minutes with somebody you don't even know. But, and especially if it's it, it, relating to diabetes, he wanted to help as many people as he could. So when you began the Ron and Vicky Santo Diabetic Alert Talk Foundation, and you've done all that you've done, and the hope is, I know, Vicky, that you're just beginning, and lives have been saved. So I was talking a couple of weeks ago on this show to Gracie, your dog trainer, who has said mm-hmm. that she's received calls, including one that came in at 3 in the morning, so she thought, oh, no. You know, mm-hmm. you don't get a call at 3 in the morning usually to say thank you. But this call was at 3 in the morning to say thank you. The parents apparently didn't care what time it was. They were just so joyful that their, I don't remember son or daughter, I don't remember which, live was saved because of the service dog waking that person up and subsequently the parents waking up. And that never mm-hmm. would have happened. They said, we would have lost our child. You yeah. must have heard that kind of story several times now. Yeah, well, yeah, it's true. It's true. And, you know, the thing, the thing that's so awesome about this is that it gives the kids courage. It gives them independence that they have not had before. Because they can't go to sleep over at friend's house. Because who's going to wake them up? Who's going to check on them? Yeah. You know, they can't just go and live a normal life, which once they have their dogs, they can do. And and it not only for the children, but for the parents that have been waking up every two hours. You yeah. Know, just just uh, we are giving a dog or you know, training a dog for a young woman in Chicago who's, you know, it's a two-year-old. And she's home with the baby all the time. She says, I can't, you know, this is my life now. And she said, I, I, I'll do anything. To get a dog to help. Yeah, but so the problem one. is those dogs. You can't you can't train as many dogs as you'd like, and it's a financial issue, an issue of resources to an extent. I want to talk about that when we come back, and also a bit more about how these dogs are trained. We are talking with Vicky Santo of the Ron and Vicky Santo Diabetic Alert Dog Foundation. We'll be right back. Vicky Santo, founder of the Dia- Ron and Vicky Santo Diabetic Alert Dog Foundation. Vicki, would you ever have imagined that you'd be on the radio with somebody like me <laughs> talking about this with the introduction I just gave? No, I had no. Who, who would have ever thought? Who would have thought I was going to be doing this? That's the first thing. But it just, you know what? It gives me purpose. It gives me purpose. I, I miss Ron. I miss our life. But it gives me um, joy to be able to help others that are going through what he went through. Yeah, I understand that. We were talking about the training of these dogs, how long it takes, what's involved with the scent training. But we left out one other factor, and that's the socialization of these dogs, because being service dogs, they have to go everywhere kids go. They have to go to school. They have to go to the playground. They have to go to soccer practice, I suppose, wherever yeah. that, yeah, a violin yeah. rehearsal, <laughs> whatever that yeah. child does, the the dog goes, and so the dog has to be trained for that. So can you talk about that a little bit? Well, when we, I, 
I interview the parents to begin with to see that we're all on the right page here as to what are they expecting from the dog. And then after I interview them, the Gracie, the trainer, talks to them, more importantly, to find out what are the activities of the child. Because some kids are a little more laid back. They just want to, you know, do artwork or lay around. They don't want a high-energy dog. They want a dog that's a little more chill. Then we have the kids who are in, uh, you know, first soccer and then baseball and then track. You know, they want to do all these different things. They need a high-energy dog that can keep up with all that. And then Gracie trains the dogs. So to the, they go to schools here, and they're in, not that they sit in the classroom, but they can go into the school when the kids are changing classes. And that's a lot for a young dog you know, to get used to, because mm-hmm. they're not used to that. So, and then she takes them shopping. They go in all sorts of stores. They're put on a sit-stay. She walks away. She leaves them sitting there and, you know, keeps an eye on them that they're doing the right thing. But all this, so they're used to shopping. They're used to going into restaurants where they'll sit under the table and not bother you unless you're, you know, the sugars are changing, then you'll kind of feel that nose on your leg and like, hmm, better check that out. Um, and they do everything that the kids are going to do. Because we don't want it to be a surprise. We don't want it to be a surprise for the dog. Like, oh, my God, I'm here and there's balls flying all over. What, what is this? You know, they have to be used to all that. Well, the other thing that you've told me, which I find fascinating, is that even in training, that these, I think it was either a movie theater or a church, you told me the story of how one dog alerted and several either pews or rose up, uh, that someone then instantly, who the dog had never met before, uh, indeed had some sort of diabetic problem, and I think even a paramedic had to come. I mean, this dog was right about that, and this person not only never met the dog, but wasn't all that close to the dog. Do you recall the story? I do not recall that story. And I <laughs> well, then maybe, that's that. okay. Then maybe one of the trainers had told me that. But that, yeah, that's so incredibly it's, impressive. I've heard several stories where the, especially like at the schools, and the, the dog would be in the classroom with one and alerting, and they're like, they've checked the dog, the, the son, that that one's fine, but the dog keeps alerting. Well, two classrooms down, there's a diabetic whose sugars have changed, and the dog is smelling it and alerting. So it's not uncommon that they do this. So how much does it cost to from point A, when the dog is first identified as a potential dog to do this work, to... Now we've given the dog over to that person. From that time span, how much money approximately are we talking? We're talking up to sixteen thousand five hundred per dog. From per dog, yeah. That's the, that's what goes to the trainer in order to train these dogs. And you know, I mean, the whole time, you know, it's hard to realize, but this is a twenty-four-seven job. I mean, you don't get to just. You know, oh, I'll see the dog two days. It's every day, every night, every, you know, they're always on, you know, on duty. And we start, you know, with a litter of puppies, and Gloria and uh, Gracie will 
keep just kind of watch them for a couple months and see which ones look like they're going to be most, you know, the best at this job. And she might even start the training with several and decide that, no, this one doesn't have it. So then she'll sell that dog off to, you know, just as a pet mm-hmm. to somebody so that they all have a home. But um, it's, it's a long process. Yeah. It's a long process. Well, you said a year, oftentimes, before the dog is given, and then once the dog is given to the family, there's a process that continues, as you described earlier in the program. So here's the question. If you want to help, and I hope people do, this organization, the work you do, if we haven't made it clear, has saved <laughs> lives. I mean, truly, truly. Yeah. I know you're not a fundraiser in your heart, but I want to ask people to help. How can they do that, Vicki? Well, I, we would appreciate any donations, that's for sure. And you can go to the Ron Sano website, um, ronsanofoundation.com, and um, there's places there that you can donate or through PayPal or Zelle. Um, it's um, not, I, I guess it's not Zelle because that would be my personal number, but um, just, you know, I, I, I'm speechless at, you know, asking for money because it's just, um, we definitely need it. There's no question about it. All right, then, Vicki, <laughs> let me do the job. I'll ask for the money because, I mean, truly, the work that you do is clearly, and the work your trainer Gracie does, the work this organization does is clearly beneficial not only to the children who have diabetes, but as we talked about a bit, the entire family. And not only the child as far as alerting for diabetes, but also sometimes these children, the young ones particularly, are ostracized in school because they they have to go get the shot or whatever, whatever, whatever. And now they're cool. They've got a dog with them, right? Yeah. Oh, that's so true. There was one that we... Um, this the dad was in the in the service, and I, I think this person was in South Carolina. I don't remember exactly what state, but anyway, um, she was being bullied at school because she was diabetic. And kids can be mean at that age, you know, fifth fifth grade, sixth grade. They're like, mm. so this poor little girl was being bullied. And then when her dad got deployed, they were saying, "Oh, your dad didn't like to be around you anymore, and he left, and blah blah hmm. blah." Well, once she got her dog and went to school, all of a sudden, she's the cool kid. She is the cool kid. Uh, We're we're, we're really out of time. Again, ronsantofoundation.com. Vicki Santo, it's always a joy talking to you. Most importantly, you're doing well. That's good to hear. And you're doing amazing work. Thank you so much. Okay, so this is a miracle. It is a real miracle. It's happening soon in Chicago. We'll talk about it next week on this show, a dog show and a cat show in the same building at the same time. How does that work? We'll find out next week. Rabbits breed well like rabbits, right? So they've got a problem in Florida. And this is why you don't, please, ever consider letting out a domestic animal just outdoors. So they're called lionhead rabbits. They're purebred rabbits. And apparently these people moved. They had not spayed or neutered their rabbits, which they should be for many reasons, and left, and we'll see one of them right here, and left two rabbits outside, 
And two rabbits quickly became more than two rabbits. Do I need to explain more? The problem is predators get to them, and they, unlike wild rabbits, have no defenses whatsoever and cannot deal with Florida heat. They die. They just suffer heat stroke in very hot weather. So please, do not do that to rabbits. So I wrote about this, and local rabbit groups in Chicago would write me back and say, you, you wouldn't believe how often it happens. People assume their domestic rabbit can live outdoors and do just okay or better outdoors in our climate. Well, of course they cannot. Wild rabbits, another story. Domestic rabbits, no way. They wouldn't even... They would have difficulty, in some cases, finding food, no defense against predators, dealing with Chicago winter? No, no. But I do have some questions for John Williams. What did the rabbit give his girlfriend? A 14-carat ring. (laughs) Yeah, two can play at this game, John. One more. Where do rabbits work? At IHOP restaurants. This is why I do not do the speed jokes. We'll talk to you next week, bright and early, on WGN.